0: and join us as we lift our voices in praise to God together.
1: Stars they wept. The morning sun was dead. The Savior of the world was fallen. His body on the cross. His blood poured. on that blackest day, the Son of God was laid in darkness, a battle in the grave, the war on death was waged. the power of hell forever.
2: Father, we sing alleluia, praise, honor, glory to you today. We ask that you would make us sensitive and aware and open to the moving of your spirit in us and among us. And that you would bless our worship today. We pray this through Christ. Amen. It's your word of greeting with others here in worship this morning. I want to mention to you a couple things. The, uh, we're so uh, there are openings for people who want to work in the nursery over the summer months, and uh, there are some forms in the back table. And we appreciate your involvement in our children's ministries, and the same is true with children's church through the summer as well. Uh, also, we're getting close to uh, completing the office remodel. We've started moving back in. Uh, so uh, this morning, if you want to do a little walkthrough, the offices are open. You can feel free to do that. and uh, and this week hopefully we'll get uh, some more things accomplished and uh, get back to normalcy uh, with that. It it looks beautiful, and I appreciate everyone who has helped in that project. And also you'll notice that again this year we're setting aside some time to pray for our graduates and uh, both high school and college seniors. Next Tuesday, the 28th, we'll begin a 36-hour prayer time uh, beginning at 6 in the morning and concluding on Wednesday at 6 in the evening. And uh, we encourage you to be a part of this. It's just an opportunity to support our seniors. Uh, we have some prayer guides available to help you as you pray for them. Uh, there'll be the, we have a list of names of uh, the, the graduates. And I know that uh, you remember uh, the times in your life and those transition moments and how important the support and prayers of others were and continue to be. And so we want to offer that support to them. So we encourage you to sign up and uh, spend an hour or so in the prayer room. You can sign up this morning or anytime online as uh, we uh, offer this opportunity of caring for our seniors. Good morning.
0: (sighs) Dead. Good morning. (laughs) Hey, there we go. I'm half dead, if you excuse my voice, but uh, I thought you'd be alive. Uh, The pastors and our missions committee hope to present a monthly mission spot, reports, videos, guest speakers, and such, in order to keep our congregation up to date on what God is doing near and far around our world. I guess you could say I drew this short straw uh, in order to kick it off this this month uh, with an update on our Faith Promise 2015. You recall that in February during our missions convention, we kicked off the 2015 Faith Promise Drive. There were these little white cards. We have to date 31 promises from our congregation, totaling... As of today, $23,000 pledged or promised, and over $5,000 already received in cash. This is a calendar year faith promise. I think that's actually pretty exciting considering the very low-key presentation we made in February. What are faith promises? Faith promises are prayerful commitments to give above and beyond our normal tithes and offerings as we trust God to provide in order to extend our mission giving beyond the normal church budget. Hope that's clear. That's what faith promises. The mission committee is just now completing our budget proposals to the elders for the next uh, church year, which will be presented in the May church meeting. And there are real people and projects that we trust God will help us to provide for above and beyond that budget. For the first time, we are amending the faith promise to include direct support for gospel workers from our church. Zach and Aaron Smalley serve full-time and year-round at Crossbar X Ranch in Colorado. Lori was just telling me about Easter sunrise there. They are our hands and feet to reach out to troubled teens. So, Our faith promise goal for 2015 is being readjusted, midstream you might say, for a bit larger goal than projected. We believe God has more folks among us who would be able to make a faith promise for the remainder of this calendar year up till December. So you can still grab a card in the foyer, there's a whole pile of them there, and return it during the next few Sundays if you might be one of those people or families who would like to get in on Faith Promise? I want to add a personal note, not about our sainthood or our, my own family's ingenuity, but to God's glory. Wife and I went ahead and made a Faith Promise in February, even though our income was a bit iffy and quite reduced. Then unexpected bills came along. I won't name them, but they were there. But God is faithful. He already surprised us with an extra tax return this year, and we have already paid up that first phase promise. God is good. We invite you to join us in trusting God to do abundantly more than we can ask or think.
2: God bless you. This time we'd like to invite the ushers forward to receive our morning tithes and offerings. You heard like to come and use the altar rails uh, to offer your prayers as we pray together this morning, please come and join me. Father, we come this morning in gratitude, For your grace and your mercy to us. We thank you for the resurrection, for this season of Easter in which we are reminded that death does not have the last word. That you have promised us life and that you indeed are the Lord of all. So as we come to this moment of prayer, we come in hope and expectancy and anticipation because we are praying to you, the great Lord of all. Father, this morning, there are so many needs and burdens in our world. Think about the the needs of our brothers and sisters throughout the world who face Persecution and opposition and we pray for your grace and protection and mercy upon each of them. Father, we give you thanks this morning for uh, Zach and Aaron and their ministry in Colorado. We pray that you will bless what they do at the ranch and the interactions they have with young people. We pray that you would give them strength and wisdom and understanding and that you would use them in powerful ways to bring the gospel into these young lives. Father, we pray about the burdens and the concerns that are are in our own hearts about things right here. We do pray for Eric Curry and his family as they are Dealing with the grief of the death of his father. And for all the other ways in which we are grieving this morning. We pray for your comforting presence. And father, we pray for all who are wrestling with issues of health. Pray for Beulah Avery and Jill Tyson. For Bruce Brenneman and Beverett and Micah Christensen. For Linda Roth, Dick Gould, Tim Nichols, Isla Shea. Edna Howard, Crystal Blake, Emily Crickler. And for others who are on our hearts and minds today, we ask for your healing power and grace at work in each of them. We pray, Father, for your mercy to be at work in our lives and in this place, in our homes, where we work, in all of our interactions. Thank you that the risen Christ is, is alive and at work in this world, in us, in this church. Father, be glorified as we live for you, as we serve you, as we honor you. And we pray all of this through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, the one who gives us the model for prayer which we now pray together. Our Father who art in heaven,
3: Immediately following the scripture reading, uh, junior church and children's church members uh, will be dismissed. And as with the tradition of the church, would you please stand with me as we read from the Gospel of John, chapter 20, verses 19 through 23. On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, They are not forgiven. This is the word of the Lord.
2: Let's be seated. When you think of what a Christian is, what comes to your mind? When you think about what it means to be a follower of Jesus, what image comes to you? What ideas, what thoughts, what words? I I think it's one of the the great questions that the, the church wrestles with, that the world is wrestling with, is what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? What does that look like? I think there's something of that question going on as we look at this passage that we read this morning from John's gospel. This is still Easter day. It is now evening. It's in the morning. Uh, Mary went to the tomb. She found it empty. She went and ran, got Peter and John. They came. They saw that Jesus wasn't there. They saw the grave closed. They walked away trying to figure out what in the world had happened. Mary has her encounter with Jesus. She runs and tells the disciples. And now it's nighttime. And And the disciples are all locked up in this room in fear. Now we understand why they're in fear. I mean, they have to be thinking, the people who just crucified Jesus are going to be looking for anybody who's connected to Jesus. And so here they are hiding in fear in this room, protecting themselves, quite frankly, as any of us would do. And John makes the point to tell us that they're in this room and the door is locked. And I don't think he means only that the door is locked so that people can't get into them. But he says the door is locked and then he says and all of a sudden Jesus appears. There's something about this that he tells us that Jesus in his resurrected body is the same and he's different at the same time. He can still speak, he can listen, he, he, can, he can engage with them, they can see him. Later we find that he can eat, but he, either he walks through the door that's locked, or he appears on the other side of the door. Somehow he gets into the room without going through this locked door. Not opening it, unlocking it, like he would have done before the resurrection. And I wonder sometimes if that isn't what our resurrected bodies might be like, where we're similar to the bodies we have now, but yet in many, some ways different. But here's Jesus among them, and he says, no wonder he says, peace be unto you, because you have to believe when they see him appear, it's scaring them to death. I mean, they're already on edge, right? And now this being appears. He shows them his hands, nail prints, his side, and they are overjoyed. It's Jesus. I don't think they quite know exactly what to do with this. They don't quite understand. Their minds have to be reeling as they're trying to figure out what exactly is going on here. But this is definitely Jesus. And Jesus has a brief conversation with them according to John's gospel. And the point of this conversation is not, I've been resurrected. Here I am. Now... You can go to heaven. That is part of it. But what he says to them is I've been resurrected. Here I am now. As the Father sent me into the world, I'm sending you. And the resurrection message of the gospel is never just what does this mean for me? But it's always, as followers of Jesus, what does this mean for me in the world? What does this mean for me as I live my life among other people? Because the call of the resurrected Christ in every one of the Gospels is, now that you know, go tell other people. And John's Gospel is no different. The thing about John's Gospel is that he says some things that are a little bit different from what the other gospel writers tell us. They each have different nuances to, the way, to their, uh, their part of the story and how they tell it and what they emphasize. And, and John, when John, Jesus says to talk to the disciples here in John's gospel, he says, I'm sending you into the world as the Father sent me, and there is one thing that I want you to do. And this one thing is, it sounds like he's saying the forgiveness of the sins of other people is in your hands. He says, go into the world and when you encounter people who need to be forgiven, which is going to be pretty much everybody, go into the world and if you forgive their sins, they're forgiven. If you don't forgive them, they're not forgiven. And you read that and... It sure seems like he's saying the forgiveness of everybody's sins is held in our hands. Now you read, you think, wait a second, that can't be right. Because scripture is very clear about telling us only God can forgive sins. We aren't good enough. We aren't wise enough. We certainly aren't powerful enough to forgive anyone's sins. We are not the means to salvation for the rest of the world. We are not the answer to the sins of the world. Jesus is. And scripture makes that abundantly clear. And yet Jesus says, forgiveness somehow is in our hands. And I've been pondering what exactly that means. What exactly is he saying here? I think what he's telling us is that people who are followers of the resurrected Christ are agents of forgiveness. We aren't actually the ones who do the forgiving. It's not because of us that people are forgiven, but we are channels, we are agents who make it possible, who create an atmosphere, who help people understand That Jesus wants to forgive their sins. That Jesus wants to set people free. That Jesus wants to reconcile people with God. That Jesus wants to make people what they were created to be. And the calling on the people who are Christians, the calling on the lives of people who believe in the resurrected Christ and embrace the resurrection... The calling on our hearts and our lives and all that we are is to be agents of forgiveness in this world. I think it's what Paul is describing in Second Corinthians chapter 5 when he says, For now we regard no one from a worldly point of view. God who reconciled us to himself through Christ gave us the ministry of Reconciliation. We are ambassadors. We are channels. We are agents of forgiveness in this world. And what does that mean? What does that look like? I think it means that we are representatives of Christ, trying to help people understand who Christ is, what Christ comes to do, what he desires to do in them because of what he's done in us. And I don't think it's a coincidence that Jesus uses the word forgiveness to describe this. He could have used a number of words, but he says your role is related to forgiveness because forgiveness is at the heart of every healthy relationship. And every single person who is willing to acknowledge our failings is looking for forgiveness. We're looking for people who will say, Hey, I forgive you. We're looking for people who will who will help us feel free from the guilt that we wrestle with. What we're called to do is to bring into this world good news. We're called to be people who are channels of, of good news into a world of nothing but bad news. And to be agents of, of reconciliation and hope and love and joy and peace and grace and truth into our world. Unfortunately, the witness of Christians doesn't always come out that way. Sometimes we're thinking to ourselves, well, actually, we probably don't think this to ourselves, but sometimes the way we live, there is a sense of apathy about being agents of forgiveness in the world. We get so wrapped up in our lives. We get so wrapped up in our own th- stuff. We, we, we become secluded and sequestered. that we don't really care that much about the rest of the world. Now, we would never say that. We say, well, I don't care about people. But the way we live. The decisions we make. Sometimes we are hesitant about being agents of forgiveness because, quite frankly, we're not sure people deserve it. What have they done to, to measure up? What have they done to, to acknowledge that they need it? And that and we get wrapped up in this mindset of people don't really deserve forgiveness. I mean, the, the things that people have done are way too bad. And sometimes we're hesitant to be agents of forgiveness because we are afraid that people are going to take advantage of it. You know, we we offer the the forgiveness of Christ and people say, oh, that sounds great, and they accept it and then they go back again. And we just simply say, look, they're taking advantage of this. They're using this to their own ends. And I was pondering all of these things and I realized that wouldn't God have the right to say that about us? You know, that we are undeserving of his forgiveness, that, that we take advantage of his gracious offers of forgiveness? Quite frankly, we do it all the time. In some way, that's the message we need to get to people is that despite being undeserving, despite the fact that we take advantage of it, he keeps offering forgiveness to us. I was thinking about what God says to Moses. In Exodus 34 and 33. God describes himself. As the people of Israel are being established as a nation. And describes himself in this language. He says he is compassionate and gracious. Slow to anger. Abounding in love and faithfulness. To thousands for generations. And then he says to Moses. Look. Look. I will have compassion on who I want to have compassion on. I will forgive who I want to forgive. And, and sometimes that's interpreted negatively as if, look, if I don't want to forgive them, if I don't want to have compassion on them, I won't. But I actually think it's the reverse. I think, you know, this is right after the story of the golden calf and that whole debacle. And I get the sense when you read this that Moses is he's so upset with the people. He's saying, God, why do you keep forgiving them? And God says, look... If I want to have compassion on them, I will. If I want to forgive them, don't tell me I can't. This is the kind of God that we want people to understand. Some people think the God of the Old Testament is, is completely different from who we see in Jesus. He's not. He is always the same, compassionate, gracious, merciful, loving. And somehow communicating that to the world. That desperately needs to hear that because, quite frankly, they don't always see that and they don't believe that. Sometimes it's our fault. There was an article or an op-ed piece in the New York Times a couple of weeks ago. I had a couple of people send it to me. Fascinating article. It was written by an evangelical Christian who has been involved in uh, in the somehow in a, in a in a role in the last three uh, Republican. Uh, presidents, uh, in the last three Republican presidents in their administrations. And he's writing about the, um, the different ways in which evangelicals have interacted with the culture. And he talked about how since maybe the mid-1970s, there has been one of the personas of the evangelical church, and he certainly wasn't categorizing everyone this way, but one of the personas, particularly the more vocal persona, has been one that had a sense of being at war with the culture and seeing the world and the culture as something to crush and to defeat and even use the language of we are at war for the faith. And in, in this article, he's talking about how maybe there is a, a, that there are different ways than that one of engaging the culture, because quite frankly, the leaders are saying that's not working. We're not making progress. We're not gaining ground. We're actually losing ground. And he said perhaps a different view might be to think about how we, how, how we go into the world with a sense of love and compassion and grace. And going to, instead of, instead of seeing the, the culture as something to crush, we see the culture as people to Love. It doesn't mean that we don't speak the truth. We speak all of the truth. But the the words we use to speak the truth and the tone we use to speak the truth communicates a great deal about the way people hear the truth. And he he said, for some people, engaging the church in the culture is like a a sentencing court. And we're passing judgment on people. Maybe a better image is that we are a field hospital in the midst of the battles going on in the world. And that we become a place of healing because our goal is that people be reconciled with God. It's not that we are trying to crush people. It's trying to help them understand God loves them and to bring them into relationship with God. And the ultimate goal is not to win the ultimate goal is to help people be reconciled to God. And I think that's what Jesus is talking about with the disciples. That we become agents of forgiveness, of grace and mercy in this world that is so needy. Now the second half of this, of this uh, commissioning, quite frankly, is a little bit disturbing to me. I, I really wish Jesus had just stopped with the first phrase. You know, if you, if you forgive their sins, they're forgiven. Great, let's just stop there. That's good enough. But he goes on to say, if you don't forgive them, they're not forgiven. It is, it's, it's one of the most confusing things Jesus could have said. I've got a book in my library called Hard Sayings of the Bible. It is so hard, it's not even in that book. Seriously, I looked it up. I'm like, you're kidding me. You don't address this? Come on. It's almost like you're saying, I give up. I don't know what to do with this. And, you know, in in all the reading, I'm reading and people are saying, in essence, they're saying, I don't know. And, you know, throw out a theory here or there, but basically it's hard to know. It's a tough thing to to grasp. And we would really wish it wasn't there because it is so difficult to understand. I think... I've kind of come to the conclusion, it's given me at least a little peace of mind about it, that I think he's saying, look, there are times when, when we come to the place with people and we realize they simply don't want Jesus. Period. And so, like Jesus says to the disciples, you enter a town and he sends them out in Luke 10, you, you go to a town, you share, you share God with the people. If they reject it, Shake the dust off your sandals and go to the next place. There are people, as Lewis says in The Great Divorce, who say to God, your will be done. There are other people to whom God says to them, your will be done. But here's the thing we have to remember about that. If we ever come to the place where we say, people have rejected God, and in a sense we have to say, I need to move on to some other people. We do it with the heaviest of heart possible. We do it with a sense of lament and grief and sorrow and pain. We aren't looking at people saying, well, I hope you get what you deserve. We're saying, please, Lord, be compassionate. We are like Jesus who looked over Jerusalem... And wept. Because despite his best efforts, so many people rejected him. And his response wasn't to for God to rain down vengeance on Jerusalem. His response was lament and sorrow and grief. And I would almost put it this way. If we ever come to the place where we say, Lord it just seems like this is hopeless and we don't we don't feel like god should forgive the sins of these people we better have a really good compelling reason to feel that way i think it's also telling us that we don't ignore sin being agents of forgiveness doesn't mean that we simply say it doesn't matter how people live doesn't matter what people do that that we're just You know, we just say, well, God's just going to look at people and say, well, you know, that's the way life is. Forget about it. Don't worry about it. No, because sin means separation from God. Sin means, when people have rejected Jesus, it means that they're no longer experiencing what they were created to experience. They are missing out on the truth and the joy and the love and the grace of God in their lives and the fullness of life and everything that means to be connected to the resurrected Christ. People are missing that. And God doesn't just say, well, whatever, live the way you want to. And we don't either. And we take sin seriously and we take evil seriously. This is not denial. It's not vengeance either. But it's taking the reality of sin and evil seriously. And it's recognizing that something has to be done about it. And sometimes people reject God. And sometimes we have to simply... Let people choose what they choose. But we do it with a grief and a seriousness and a sensitivity of heart and spirit. This is the risk of being agents of forgiveness. Forgiveness is, is, is the risk of love it is being forgiving with people is taking a huge risk that they won't manipulate us that they won't take advantage of us and maybe they will there's a good chance that people we forgive are going to hurt us again because that's the nature of human relationships but god doesn't it doesn't seem to stop God from continuing to forgive us and as agents of God it doesn't stop us from forgiving and being being a, being agents of the spirit of forgiveness for other people too. It makes me wonder if that isn't why Jesus showed them the nail prints in his hands and the spear in his side, the print of the spear in his side. Because I think he's saying to them, look, if you're going to forgive people, this is probably what you're going to end up with. If you really love people, you're probably going to end up being hurt. It's going to be painful because more often than not, the response of evil to love is hate. We would love to think that when we love people and when we're compassionate to people, and we share Christ with people, that they just fall on the floor in front of us and thank us in gratitude and, and, and wrap their arms around us and say, "We, oh, I can't believe you told me this. Thank you so much. And sometimes people will do that and it's awesome. But often people don't. Often we get an exactly different response. And it's the test of whether we're really connected to the resurrected Christ or not. Are we willing to take that pain? Willing to willing to love despite the risk? Willing to be agents of forgiveness? Even though it m- might well mean rejection and pain and hurt in response. This is why I think it is so important that we not miss the little sentence about the Holy Spirit. In the midst of all of this, John says that Jesus looked at them and said, receive the Holy Spirit and he breathed on them it makes me think of genesis when god breathes life into adam it makes me think of exodus or ezekiel 37 when this valley of dry bones and god breathes life into these bones and the holy spirit breathes he breathes the holy spirit into the disciples It is through the Holy Spirit that we have power to live as agents of forgiveness. Because quite frankly, none of us are good enough, none of us are smart enough, none of us are wise enough, none of us are holy enough, none of us love enough to be the kind of agents of forgiveness that we are called to be. We will fail every time. As soon as something comes back on us that we don't like, we're going to react as human beings. We need the Holy Spirit. It's fascinating to me that in Acts chapter 2, when he tells the story of the Holy Spirit coming down upon the disciples as the beginning of the church, the difference in the disciples pre that event and post that event is unbelievable. They go from being hidden in a room, locked in fear, to sharing the gospel in public places, being arrested. And standing up for Christ with courage and love and compassion. If we don't have... If we aren't surrendered to the Holy Spirit, we can never be agents of forgiveness. And we live our lives surrendering every day, every moment to the Holy Spirit, asking for the Spirit to fill us and change us and renew us and make us the kind of people who love when it's hard to love, who share good news when we'd rather talk about vengeance, who are more interested in being a field hospital in the midst of this world's struggles and battles than standing in judgment over people who we disagree with. We we will never be those kind of people. We'll never be that kind of church without the Holy Spirit. And we need to understand that it's in the power of the Holy Spirit living in us that makes us the kind of people we're called to be when we're filled with the Spirit, we become the most hopeful people in the world. Because quite frankly, living in this world, it's easy to feel despair. We offer forgiveness. We become agents of forgiveness. We're love and compassion. And it keeps getting rejected over and over and over again. But in the power of the Spirit, we can still be hopeful. And we are hopeful because we serve the risen Christ. Death is not the end. Sin doesn't have the last word. Evil doesn't have all the power. We serve Christ who is risen, who defeated death, who conquered sin, and who has overcome evil. And that's why we have confidence to go in the power of the Spirit and to be agents of forgiveness. And we're not responsible how people respond to us. We're just responsible to be witnesses, to share the grace of God, and the truth of Christ in the spirit of Christ. And being hopeful doesn't mean we deny the truth. Doesn't mean we deny reality. This is a tough world. There's a lot of evil. There's a lot of sin. It's a mess. But being people of hope means that we don't give up. We don't stop being who God has called us to be Because it doesn't seem to be making any difference. We're people of hope because this is right. And it's the spirit of Christ. And it's the call of Christ. Whether we see the results we want or not. We believe God is at work. And we cling to that hope. And we live in that joy. Because we know Christ has won. This is the mission of the church. N.T. Wright tells about when he was a bishop of Durham in northeast England. Said so every summer for a week, they would gather a whole group of teenagers together and uh, they would spend their days in the morning teaching them the scriptures, in the afternoon doing service projects and at night having these Wonderful evangelistic gatherings where they invited people to come and hear about Jesus his, his favorite part was often going in the afternoon with these students and working in some of these towns that were uh, deteriorating. said, so particularly remembered one town they were working in it was old it was uh, it was just it was a tough place to to live, and they spent their days. In that week, working on the alleyways behind a lot of these homes. And they began to paint and fix it up. And as they started doing this, people started coming out of their houses in the alleys for something they didn't normally do because of all the seedy stuff that went on in the alleyway. And they came out and they were kind of nervous. And they said, so are you guys from the government? How much is this going to cost us? And these teenagers looked at him with these smiles on their faces and said, oh no, we're from the church. This is our present to you. This is our gift to you from Jesus. And they spent the week painting and putting up flower pots all up and down that alleyway. And he said, people were just so pleased and grateful for what they'd done. But he said it didn't stop there because a year later when he went back, he found that not only had they their decorations improved the alley, but also now people started planting little gardens back there. And they started having barbecues together. And they started meeting their neighbors and doing all these things relationally that they had never done before because they were too fearful to go out into these alleyways. And he said the most amazing thing was that there was a a lay preacher who moved into that neighborhood. And because of all the things that the church had done, all the ways in which the church had had shared in these very practical ways with these people about Jesus, that when he talked about Jesus, they listened. And that whole community was transformed. As the church, we have a choice. We can be known as judges in a sentencing court, or we can be known as medical personnel in a field hospital. As God's agents of forgiveness. In this desperately needy world, my prayer for you as an individual, for me, for us as a church, is that we will hear God's call and we will be witnesses in this world wherever we go, whatever we do. Witnesses, agents of forgiveness and good news through the grace of Christ and the power of the Spirit. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this calling you've given to us as your people. We tremble in the face of it, knowing how often we fall short. We pray that you will forgive us that you will fill us with your spirit and give us grace to represent you, to represent the risen Christ to a desperately needy world. We pray this through Jesus. Please stand and join us as we sing together. to come.